Before we get this episode started, I wanted to take a moment, because I didn't do it in our episode coverage, to thank all of you for, firstly, encouraging us to cover Better Call Saul's final season, and secondly, for the response that we got from doing this. Thank you so much for your feedback, for your likes, for your comments, for your dedication, for making it to the premieres, for asking really good questions during our recording sessions, and for just being great listeners to our content writ large. So here's to you. And now I present to you our final Better Squawk Saul episode, covering the last two episodes of Better Call Saul's sixth and final season, titled Waterworks and Saul Gone. Thank you so much for listening. Take it away, Bridget. I'm Bridget. Did you know that you have rights? The Constitution says you do, and so do I. I believe until proven otherwise, or if you admit it in court, which is a bad choice, but it happens, every man, woman, and child should hear this podcast. And that's why we talk to you, Internet. Better squawks all. I have a very important announcement to make before we continue. Obviously, we just premiered the interview with Anthony Collins, announcing our involvement, however that will be. I'm pretty sure we're going to be sharing the stage with Beauty and the Beasts, as well as helping out Anthony with a whole bunch of technical things to make this thing pretty, pretty super duper. I don't know the extent to which we will be able to do that, but we are going to try our darndest to make this a live stream extravaganza for everybody to enjoy, not just the folks. The, I think it's up to 300 people that are going to be there, so which is insane, right? Because that, that was the cap. I think they're over capacity technically, but I will see because <laughs> that's going to be interesting to watch. But yeah, but before we continue also, um, yeah, I mean, look, look, I've been away for two weeks. I was on vacation, so we didn't have as much show to give you until just uh, Tuesday. But I'm happy to be back. I'm happy to be with you guys, my friends. I miss you guys so much. It's a rare thing when I go away and there is actually stuff to do. And so I apologize for leaving the ball in your court for so long. I know there's no instruction manual on how to run this podcast. And I thank you for being there and doing the things as much as you could in the face of so many obstacles. So I love you guys. And thank you so much for for doing the things. You guys are the best. You're the best. Thank you guys. We missed you. We missed you. I missed you too. There's something else I have up my sleeve and it's something that I I, I hate to be like the bearer of bad news at the top of the show, but uh, Bridget, I am going to be canceling your Survivors tier membership. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So thanks for the intro. Don't take my money, I guess. But uh, (laughs) yeah, so that's unfortunate. I'm sorry to tell you that. Uh, There's a very specific reason and I... It really pains me to tell you this, but... Uh, just just spit it out, man. Uh, yeah, no, the reason for this is very... Uh, it's, it's really unfortunate, and I'm really, really sorry to, to tell you this, but we're making you an official host. Stop, stop it. Wait, stop did, it, it. did it cut out again? No. <laughs> just stop. Don't. Stop it. Oh, okay. You don't want. Okay. No, I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get emotional. I'm gonna get emotional. Thank you. That's. I'm so happy. You've done so much. Oh God, you're getting me emotional. Just ah, to be a host with us. Didn't expect this. <laughs> I yeah. would love to. I'm so happy to. I talked to every single person, including some of the others, and they said that just makes complete fucking sense. So that's what we're doing. If you'll have us. I love you guys. Of course. 
I'm so excited. That's awesome. Thank now, you. This means that I still want you to do what you're doing on the side because I think it's really cool that what you're doing and I'm really invested in what you have to offer in your own platform. So I don't want you to think you have to make this, you know, oh, let's make this a squawky. No, this can be a punky Bruce. I really enjoy <laughs> yourself. I think it's uniquely you. And I think it really fills out what we do also. So there's, there's that. And I, that goes for all of you. Obviously you guys give so much color to the walking dead universe and, and all your other projects too. And, you know, I never want you to think that this podcast should hold you back from doing special things. I love all of you. I love you, Bridget. And I think, uh, it's been such a great discovery <laughs> having you on the show. So that's my little hijacking. And of course the technical difficulty always helps in increasing dramatic effect. So congratulations. Thank you. Yay. I love you guys so much. Welcome. Bridget. Welcome abroad. <laughs> I want to say though, that this platform has helped us in so many projects without the platform of squawking dead. We wouldn't have been able to interview Jenna and Mo and Christine. And you've helped me promote all of the other projects that we've had so i don't oh yeah i i appreciate you saying that but i don't see this as ever holding any of us back yeah i, I that's that's always what i've wanted to is for all of this all of what we're doing to kind of lift each other up individually but also like you know it's obviously we're, we're lending our two cents you know in this in this collective called squawking dead so i think it's i think it's I great would still have like 12 followers on Twitter. Now you have 22. I'm 80 something now. I haven't broken 100 yet, but we're getting there. What Dave is really saying is next time we want to cover a TV show outside of the Walking Dead universe, we need to put it on our own channel. (laughs) Actually, now that this is over, I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm toying with the idea of like squawking Westworld. I mean, maybe... Covering it from the beginning, even. Do you know what I mean? Westworld is another show that I was deep, deep into for the first two seasons. Season three, I didn't like that much. I haven't watched season four yet. Mitchell is in the audience. Oh, okay. He is in the audience. Mitchell. He's tweeting me. He's live tweeting on this right now. Oh, Mitchell, there's a chat that you can use to talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> is he, like, live tweeting the recording? <laughs> yeah, he just he just said, OMG, Hello. insert my tag this this is great news so mitchell is happy which is so sweet we love you mitchell we love you mitchell (sighs) so uh yeah mitchell's mitchell's live tweeting this so like if we say something stupid that we're gonna ultimately edit out mitchell's gonna put it on the internet Mitchell, it's my my deepest fear (laughs) hi everybody it's good to see you guys it's been a couple of weeks last week we had some really weird stuff go on so we couldn't record episode 612 lightning hit my house dave was on vacation rachel's working two jobs bridget had meetings it just it just wasn't gonna happen so today we're gonna cover both episodes today with us is rachel cosmo mom 09 we got bridget punky brewster ain't my first radio on instagram and x prophecy girl on twitter who has just been officially made a uh member of the podcast. Woohoo! Gotcha. Stop crying. <laughs> and and uh, Sharon D, and, aka Blazy Gardener. I'm gonna do it for you. That's me. Yeah. And lurking in the shadows, what we do in the shadows, Dave Cameo hanging out. That's human what we form. do in the shadows. What's going it's on? A, it's a TV show. No, yeah. I oh, know. But that's like it's like 
I've only watched one episode, and it was the one when they brought all the TV vampires on, like because Evan Rachel Wood was on it, and like Danny Trejo, and <laughs> that's great. All the different it- people that played vampires on TV and shit, they brought them all on for one episode. It was funny. So that 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 whole show is great. I, I encourage everybody to watch it. It's so fucking funny. I would even say it's better than the movie. Yeah, that's a challenge. And if you haven't seen the movie, oh my god, watch it. I haven't watched either. Yeah, I only watched it once for Evan Rachel Wood, so. Oh my god, what are you doing with your life? (laughs) Watching Better Call Saul? (laughs) Watching Ted Lasso over and over again, which I think is another show we should cover when it comes back, because it's fantastic and the best show on TV after Better Call Saul. What's there to say about a show that's just... Just so complete and whole and wholesome. But it's, well, I mean, because it's not really. There's a lot of darkness and stuff to it after you rewatch it a couple of times. Mm. The first time you watch it through, you're so bowled over by the positivity that you don't notice all the dark under stuff going on. But when you go back and watch it a couple of times, you you pick that shit up. Yeah. Mm. It's a lot darker the second and third time around. Ted Squasso. It's still great. Yeah, it's still great, but we'll have a TED Talk. Ted Squawk. Ted Squawk. It's a Ted Squawk. Damn. That's great. I love that. <laughs> the title's built in. <laughs> Kim is working at a sprinkler store, Palm Coast Sprinklers, watering your life since 1978. So we start off with a flash forward to well, you know, maybe maybe a few weeks after Jimmy and Kim break up. He is Fully Saul now. He's got the fucking pillars in his office, the Constitution up on the wall. It's no longer the nice, classy office. And he's bouncing a ball off the off the table and off the wall, which is a call back to season four when he was working at the cell phone store. And he was bored and he spent the whole time just bouncing the ball off the wall until he hits a pillar and the pillar falls over. He just kind of looks at it, and then I was like, "Man, that's gonna be heavy to pick up." And then he goes over, and picks up. It's just like styrofoam. He just like just tilts it back up. But I mean, I guess that's a metaphor for his life. It's just light and hollow. You know, there's there's no substance mm. to it. It's just airy styrofoam that is his life. Just really gave us a picture of how tacky his stuff is. <laughs> <laughs> the whole reason he's doing this is because Kim has brought the divorce papers for him to sign, and he is. He's been keeping them waiting for an hour while he's in the office bouncing a ball. Well, keeping her specifically, right? Yeah. I mean, you think he was doing it just to be petty or does he just not want to deal with it? Or was it a combination of those maybe? Or When you finish watching both episodes, you kind of realize that this Saul, this whole Saul Goodman thing is basically what Jimmy's version of what Kim does in hiding. And he's been doing it a lot longer, but it's his way of dealing with not having her or and also post the Howard murder thing. And what's life worth living if uh, if you don't have somebody you love? So why not go deeper into the Slippin' Jimmy antics, into this whole level two Super Saiyan Saul sort of situation? So since he's been doing it so much longer, that means he's just co- got comfortable with it. He loves having these people get away with it. And so I think this is probably the hardest thing he's had to probably come to grips with since is, is this this last tooth he has to pull. All this time, he's been married to Kim at least. That's like, you know, that's something he's had in his pocket at least for the longest time, too. So it's just mm-hmm. one of those last tooth to pull in your face before he's completely Saul. It's sad. It's so sad. Yeah. 
Uh, it makes me feel worse for Kim, though, doesn't it? Kim is just kind of like wandering through the desert. I mean, kind of like Jimmy in this in one of the one of the damn show the episode. There was the last episode. It starts off with that. But uh, but yeah, she's been just wandering and he's just found some sort of purpose. Well, it, as long as he can keep Saul, up, he doesn't have to deal with anything. He can just blow it all off. Uh, so yeah. we go to the opener, which, as it has been doing lately, goes to the blue screen. And then they kind of flash up just a millisecond of, of a frame of the show and it's all distorted. So it's always really hard to figure out what it is. This one looked like Frankenstein or something standing. And, I mean, it was just so distorted. It looked so weird. And of course it's Kim standing at the airport in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like, it was like the end of Jeffy's cab and then it flashes to that yeah. silhouette. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, see, I, they took a page from fear of the walking dead. No, I'm kidding. Dan, Dan, Dan. It's about Kim Wexler. What is about Kim yep, Wexler? Yep, that'll get him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they yeah. know what'll get him. <laughs> uh, yep. I mean, these, I, I mean, I'm just going to say this. These writers are fucking brilliant. They know their audience and what their audience will and will not accept. There was a couple of things maybe were a little overboard or a little over the top that weren't totally realistic. But on the whole, this is just so realistic and I mean, you you believe every second of it, and that's that's why they're just brilliant. They're brilliant. Watching the episodes again just before we got on, I noticed that like in both episodes, there was just like for Waterworks specifically, since we're talking about it, they really focused a lot on Kim's life after the divorce papers, mm-hmm. and it was gratuitous, like super gratuitous, like to get you into Kim's headspace. And so, like, it really dovetails on what you're saying is that yes, the the writing is brilliant. And they get away with those scenes like you could easily stand. They could easily stand accused of being this is too much. I can't handle this. I can't see Kim like this. And yet you're like, I'll, I'll take it because I've been missing her, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I honestly felt I was afraid that the scene where she breaks up with Jimmy could have been the last that we would see of Kim. And that would have been acceptable, honestly. <sighs> Even even though I'm glad we got what we got, had they ended it right there, we could have been okay with that because Kim Kim got away from him. She's not going to prison. She's not dead. She got away, and we could have been all right with that. And they did that a couple of times because after the scene in Waterworks on the tram, that could have been the last time we saw Kim, and we would have been okay with that. She did what she needed to do. She you know made a, made her atonement, and that's that was her story wrapped up. But oh. then they gave us even more Kim. Oh my goodness! Yeah, you know they 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 gave us they they didn't leave us hanging. I was terrified that they were just going to leave us hanging, but <laughs> not tell us what happened to her at all. And you guys watched it the week. See, this is the thing that the the, the difference in the way you watch, right? You guys had to wait a week to 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 feel that. I yes. I was zombified yeah. after flying home. <laughs> And watch both back to back. And I was like, yeah. I think I'm dead inside, everybody. I think I'm dead. <laughs> I still don't th- feel like I've fully processed it. <laughs> like, I don't, yeah. It was a lot. And I don't feel okay. I'm sorry. Still. still. I legitimately looked up articles on how to deal with the loss of a television show which is so ridiculous i was just like this is serious like there's got to be stuff out there that talks about this sure enough there were plenty i put i put one in my in my instagram story to be like here you go people you need some help and rachel and i have consistently talked about over the years talked about the endings of television shows it's not a fun feeling (laughs) Yeah, we we don't have the luxury of putting this one off, right? 
So well, it, it's this. Um, it's kind of the same as when you finish a book too. You know, you finish yeah. a, a book and you're just like destroyed inside, and everybody's going on with their lives around you like nothing happened, <laughs> and you're like, I, I just want to die <laughs> because of this book. I just, I just lived read. a whole life. This book. <laughs> Rachel and I will put off like the last five pages so we don't have to actually let it end. Right? See. Sometimes Rachel and I are like so alike in that respect. But put off the hurt as yeah. long as you can. Yeah, until you do and you're like, oh, wait, what was I waiting for? <laughs> so, but Ooh, it still no, sucks. No, not me. I'm always like. <laughs> so it depends hot. on how long you wait, because honestly, it's like sometimes I'll wait Fair. a really long time and I won't watch it for like a month or two. And it's like, I guess I'll just watch the end of this show. Finally. <laughs> I've been reading all the Walking Dead books and subconsciously oh, no. I have now like slowed down to just a snail's pace <laughs> because I only have two books left. <laughs> so now I'm reading like so little at a time. And so I guess that's the same thing. Just a sentence a day. <laughs> yeah. More. That's enough. Close this book. All right, that's, that's good for today. I don't, I don't feel like reading right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, put it down. She, then she bounces a ball oh, on the table. See, <laughs> for I the am next the exact one. opposite. Oh, I am the exact opposite. I will burn through a book. Like, like uh, I'll, just use, I'll use Harry Potter as an example, okay? Mm-hmm, I burned mm-hmm. through the Harry Potter books when they came out. There was no waiting. There was no, there was no, I'll save some of this for later. No, <laughs> I stayed up all night and read that fucking book from cover to cover. Then went back and read it again. I do the same thing with TV oh shows. I, there is no waiting. I am watching it right then. I am not waiting. And I'm not going to like skip it either. I'm going to burn through it. I'm going to binge it until my eyeballs fall out. Damn. There's nothing sacred, Charity. <laughs> no. <laughs> when i first binged better call saul because i i didn't start i watched it when it first started but it was after it, right after breaking bad it was really it was hard for me to really get into it like it especially week to week so about th- maybe four years four years ago i think um it was on netflix and i was like ah shit let me watch this and i binged it was only three seasons were on netflix at that point i wow. binged all three seasons like bam 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 and then I was like, oh, shit, I hope I can find season four. And I did. I found season four on a, another site. Some bootleg site. Um, <laughs> yeah, a bootleg site. And I binged no, that, too. she fully supports everything in the correct <laughs> and legal manner. Man, I could talk about that. Yeah, for yeah, that. Just like, just like Kim Wexler. Just call me Kim Wexler. <laughs> totally, totally legal and above board. Wow. All I can say about the whole Kim sequence is like, it was painful. It was painful yeah. to watch her just dead inside. She wouldn't make a decision. She had no opinion. The highlight of her day was talking about mayonnaise versus Miracle Whip. Yep. And that is the most scarring scene out of anything I've ever seen on television was the yup scene. It got under my skin so bad. It, there were, it, was, it was more than just the sex scene, too. Like After you watch again, you realize, oh, there are a lot of yeps in this episode. It's just horrible. And yep. and and what do you think? What do you so, think? Yep. What do you think? What do you think? It drove he's me crazy. obviously not a smart dude. <laughs> he looks like I, the kind of guy who wears his sunglasses on the back of, back his, of his head. Oh, oh god. For sure. He looks like one of those dudes. I mean, he is he is totally Florida guy. He is Florida man. Uh, you know, yeah. could be worse. Now, could be a lot I worse. Say, I will say that Kim has the same. She did pick somebody who likes flashy shirts, just like Saul. 
Ooh. But in more of like a Guy Fieri kind of way. <laughs> yeah, on a Flavor Town <laughs> level. He's, that guy's he's going to Flavor Town, all right. <laughs> yeah. Especially with that miracle whip, that tangy, tangy miracle whip. <laughs> Which, as someone who lives in the South, Dukes is where it's at, dude. You know, I yep. did the research exactly. on that. Agreed. Agreed. I, I did research on that, and like, there's like a rivalry between Dukes and Best Food slash Hellman's, and it's real it is like fighting words knives out real and i don't know who to side with because i've always known hellman's people in the south will gut you over yeah duke's mayonnaise we find out that yup guy his name is glenn <laughs> so got a little walking dead shout out for those who can't see it rachel is Not holding up a a pillow with glenn Ree from the walking dead's face on it yeah when Glenn is taking the beers and such out of the grocery bag, I noticed that it was a Winn-Dixie bag. Winn-Dixie yeah. is based out of Jacksonville, Florida, which is my hometown. They used yep. to be up here in North Carolina, but they are no longer extant anywhere but in Florida. That's uh, right. And I was very excited to see that because that was one of my favorite places to shop. <laughs> yeah. little, little taste of home. I'm totally freaked out about what FSU colored deviled eggs would look like in real life. Like in black <laughs> and white, they were pretty awful. And I'm just saying that I'm not entirely sure what maroon and gold eggs would look like in person. Well, they weren't maroon so and I, gold. They were mar- maroon, maroon and, yellow and yellow because she couldn't get the yellow. <laughs> well, she obviously used beet for the coloring, uh, the red coloring, and the yellow from <sighs> be- be- uh, Duke's mayonnaise. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which is How apparently. Dare you, sir. <laughs> Wanna fight? I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you a jar of Dukes. I'm, I I, I'm a Mayo fiend. I totally want some Dukes now. That that is like that is it. Dennis won't eat anything else but Dukes. Like he's like nothing else is mayonnaise. Okay, we're gonna have to do this. <laughs> I found it interesting that they were so intent on talking about color in in this actual absolute black and white, Colorless. black and white nothing, and now they're, they're talking about color. And then Kim's blank puzzle. Yeah, doing a completely white oh, puzzle. White puzzle yeah. Oh, just that's her life. Can't even pick a puzzle to do. Like it just has to be a white puzzle. Aside from Mike, because Mike to me is the saddest oh, story the entire up. of the Sire series. To me, this is like the second saddest. This dead inside Kim, who went from being such a dynamic, living, brilliant person to this shell shadow of a person. Who can't even decide on a puzzle to put together. It has to just be a blank puzzle. She can't pick between vanilla and strawberry ice cream. She can't have an opinion on anything. What do it, you think? It, it just, it broke my heart. Yeah, what do you think? I'll just go along. Ugh. It's like the, it's the extreme. Like, she took it to the extreme opposite end. Like, instead of being like, I'm just going to dial back a little bit. I won't do all this wild, crazy, conning kind of stuff. I'm just going to go back to trying to live kind of a normal life she goes like completely opposite and is like i'm gonna live no life yeah i'm gonna live the blandest mm. life for years because any excitement i i don't deserve it i don't deserve any type of excitement or enjoyment or i can't even afford to to fuck up somebody else's life so i'm just gonna just exactly. say whatever you want she may not like strawberry and i don't want to be responsible for being the one that picks strawberry and that would ruin her day oh. You had to put it that way. Oh, God. Yeah, you're right. Wow. The other thing I noticed was when they showed the outside shot of all the cars parked in front of the 
waterworks place, every single one of the window shields had designs on them, and Kim's was just a blank. Silver, yeah. Silver, looking just like a space blanket. Ha! Nicely done. I like it. Oh, man. Which is, like, so unfortunate. She's allergic to color in this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's everything about her is 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 gray. You know, there is no, there's no color in her life at all. And even her hair is this dark, dingy, square-cut, horrible-looking bangs. Oh, yeah, I hated so it. Her shoes, her shoes. Are, did you see the shoes that she was wearing in the when she went to Albuquerque? And even she was wearing heels, but they were like old lady granny heels. <laughs> like, mm. like maybe even I could wear those heels. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you did, right? Oh, man. Even down to her clothes, she's completely changed. She's not wearing the high-powered lawyer outfits. Denim, and no, not, not a suit. Denim skirts yeah. with white sneakers. Sweaters. With white sneakers. I can't. Uh, uh, you it, know, it does it bring so to mind gross. something that you said, Sharon D., Midway into our coverage is that how she had started flirting with colorful shirts as they were increasing the schemes and scamsy things. And now she just can't afford to wear those things and live that colorful life. She just doesn't want doesn't want to even resemble that prior her in any way. So she's like, uh, I'm not anybody. So let's be let's play the part. Let's play the part of nobody. I did want to add one more thing to that. It's not worth commenting on for everybody else, but like throughout surrendering her will, surrendering her color and her life, etc., the guy doesn't even live with her. Yeah, I, I thought, I mean, because when they were first walking out at the house, I was like, I don't know, they're walking out looking at the stars or something, and then he got in his car and drove off, and I was like, oh. She's <laughs> I thought they were going to, like, enjoy, like, a drink outside. I thought it was, like, a porch yeah, type yeah. thing. Yeah. He just got in his car and drove away, and... Uh, we want to go out Friday night. And I was like, oh, okay. Because that seemed like really domestic when they were grilling out. And, and what a... <laughs> and hanging out. And, and yup. <laughs> How Norman Rockwell, her Florida house was. The four ladies out with their skirts and their summer blouses. And the four guys all gathered around the grill. And you just know if it was in color, it would be bright greens and the white fence. And I mean, she lived on a canal. This is not an inexpensive house either, by the way, Uh, on a canal in Florida. This is a pricey fucking house. But I mean, it was it was just how perfectly suburban How That's it. How suburban it looked. Right. Reminds me of uh, Edward Scissorhands. Mm. I thought that too. I thought that too. Exactly. Just like the over exactly. the top yeah. dying of the eggs and these like weird, like mundane conversations. Whatever happened to crack? <laughs> Where did crack go? <laughs> their conversations were inane. Yeah, the most exciting <laughs> part of their day. <laughs> Kim didn't even pipe up and say anything when they're like, you should arrest teenagers for buying pacifiers. You know, and she's. Old Kim would have been like, get what the fuck? That's not <laughs> how the law works. <laughs> I, I loved how they were like, you went to that restaurant with Glenn. Did you like it? And she's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't know. Have an he, opinion. I, right. Yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm so sure he liked weird. it. I have no idea. Can't afford to have an opinion. She wanted to say, yes, it was good, but she just could. It, after six years of having no opinion and no self, it was very hard for her to put that self back out there again. You know what? She just couldn't do it. And that's what like brings us back to the Mayo again. Right. Because now that we've talked about everything else, that's so stupid and mundane. Her only like take a chance move. Her only take a chance move was like, 
You know, you think they'll you think they'll be okay with Miracle Whip? That was it. That was her exciting. <laughs> let's try something exciting and maybe new. I know it's not Dukes, but you know, maybe this will bring some color into our lives. I know. Yeah. I know. And if you've ever had Miracle Whip, you're like, ew. <laughs> she is mayonnaise. She's mayonnaise. She is mayonnaise. <laughs> no, she's 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 mayonnaise, but she's pretending to be Miracle Whip. Uh, oh, that's not just even a the, little oh. tangy. Just, just just wants a it's little a, tang. A little tang in my in my life. Yeah, her name is Kimberly Mayonnaise Wexler. <laughs> that's why her middle name wasn't on her. That's that's why her middle name wasn't on her fucking birth Kimberly M Wexler. What? Maybe Kimberly M. <laughs> Kimberly Mayonnaise Wexler. Mm. <laughs> Delicious. Wait, actually, did you notice that the exact date on the um on the divorce papers, the May sixth, two thousand four? I thought that May twenty sixth. They really May twenty sixth, two thousand four. Was it when they got married? It was on their it was on their marriage certificate too. When you when they get married and they push the marriage certificate uh-huh. at them, you can see it on there. They they really the, the threw a date. lot of dates in this episode. A lot. To kind of really help you pinpoint when this shit was happening, which is not their usual MO. Usually you kind of have to hunt a little bit or use inference. Kim is at work. And I like how they show the mundaneness of the office, too. Like, this is totally not like working at any of the law offices that she's worked at. It's gray, just like everything else in her life. She's writing the copy for catalogs. And she's using the same kind of detail and, and hesitation over wording that she did even when she was a lawyer. I don't know if you guys remember, it was an episode in season two or three, and she was sat at the computer and backspaced and changed the punctuation, and then she'd backspace and change the punctuation again. She's doing the same thing here, just detail-oriented. That's still the same. That part of her hasn't changed. She's just muting it just like everything else. She's still sad. Mm. So Jean calls her, and she's not happy. We saw the other half of this call in the last episode. And it didn't look very good then, and it really wasn't any better from her end. But he sparks her to make a change. And maybe not in the way he wanted to spark her, but she would have probably continued indefinitely just living this half-life, this shell life, and never have moved on from it or allowed herself to atone and feel better. She would have just stayed in this limbo forever. But because he called... And gave her that that push. Well, why don't you go turn yourself in? Fring's in the ground. Mike is in the ground. Lalo's in the ground. You're you're free and clear. Go turn yourself in. And he sparked her to do that. She gets this information, too, that I don't think she had probably on Albuquerque and what happened afterwards. I'm sure she probably knew about Gus, maybe, because that might have been fairly big news that, you know, Gus, the chicken man got blown up. But she probably definitely didn't know about Mike because nobody did. Except right. for Walt and Jesse and, and Saul. But he, he sparks her to go and spill her guts, which in turn allows her to allow herself to move on. So while his call was not meant to help her in any way, he was trying to help himself and insinuate himself back with her. It ended up being the best thing that could have happened to her, probably. I had a question about that. I have an answer to this, but like, I just kind of want to hear what you think. Why do you think Jimmy gets mad? on the phone with her like just or just like frustrated what do, what do you what do you think he was expecting to get from this conversation i think he had it in his mind that he was gonna call her and she was just gonna be so happy to hear from him that he was okay and she was just gonna be oh 
Jimmy, I'm so glad to hear from you. And how have you been? And let's do this. And, oh, maybe we can, you know, blah, blah. And, and I, I, he didn't expect her to take, uh, but he wasn't thinking. Again, like I said last week, it's if, not thinking. if I was at my job and, and, and living a life that people didn't know my past and my fucking ex-con husband just calls me <laughs> up out of nowhere, who's wanted by the FBI and is, and is the subject of a manhunt and he calls my place of work. I would be pretty freaked out too and put that on top of that that this brings up all the shit that she's been smashing down for six years and not thinking about and not allowing herself to feel anything about and now all of a sudden it's brought back up and she, I mean you see it on her side she's freaking out. She, she's about to lose her composure completely and I think he expected her to be just happy to hear from him and, and everything was going to be okay and they were just going to fall back and be the same people again and when she didn't do that it pissed him off it was a really juvenile response to think that you were going to call her up and she was just going to be so thankful to hear from you that it was going to let her forget that she witnessed someone being murdered right in front of her eyes <laughs> and then on top of that they had to lie about this like about the situation to avoid getting in trouble all of that happened she feels because of you and her relationship with you and you're just gonna like that she's just gonna like gloss over that it. yeah it just it's juvenile it's it's very childish it reminds me of like how i would have been in a relationship as a teenager yeah because it kind of goes back to the conversation that kim has with mike and in the same episode jimmy says the wicked flee when no man pursueth which is exactly what she's doing and i think he's mostly upset because she's not being the person that he knows that person who's made of sterner stuff and i think it really genuinely upsets him too he's like you're tougher than this you can handle my phone call and you're not even going to deign to even respond because you're tougher than this. Like, it's like, who are you? Are you still there? Like, literally, are you still there, Kim? And like you said, Charity, I think that does wake her up. You are tougher than this. And you have no reason not to live. And I think I'm mad also just talking about this. It's like, it's like, yeah, come on. I love you, Kim. Like, you, you don't need to live this way. You know, why are you being a martyr? You know, if you're so satisfied, then do the things. But at least live your life. If you're going to live your life, live your life. Are you even there? Well, um, she says, whatever kind of life you're living, it can't be. I can't right. remember the exact wording, but whatever kind of life you're living, it can't be good. And he's like, well, pot right. kettle, you know. But what does he know about her life? Which we know her life is not good. But what does he know right. about it? He doesn't know anything about how she's living or what she's doing. But, <laughs> I mean, we know he's right. We know he's correct in the area that she's just living this fucking half-life. And he knows that she's still there. That's the thing. Like after all right. these years, she's still there. And I, I mean, I guess he's he's still Saul inside of Jean, whereas she's not Slippin' Kimmy inside of this Kim. Like I think Slippin' Kimmy is gone for, uh, forever. I don't think Slippin' Kimmy is ever going to come back. I don't think she's ever going to want to. You know, like she she pushed it away before, and and she came back into it, and look what happened. And I don't think that's ever she's ever going to feel that way again. In Kim's mind, Slippin' Kimmy got Howard killed. So if she tries to bring that person back out again, I mean, who knows who might die next, right? Mm, exactly. Another reason she didn't want to talk to Jimmy is because she didn't want to feel that feeling again. It's dangerous. Yeah. But happier ending, I think. I think she continues being involved with the law. She does get that spark to do that volunteer work, that free legal advice work. 
And I think her, by the nature of her actually being, and let's skip ahead just a bit to the end of the series, the nature of her even visiting Jimmy as her lawyer means that she showed some credentials and, uh, you know, there, there may be a happy ending for her. She, she didn't take, she didn't exactly t- take Cliff Main's offer, but she is doing the work. And so that's, mm-hmm. I think that's pretty great. She said her bar card didn't have an expiration date. She got in like not above board. <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't right. legitimate. But, so th- that's but kind of what I was leading up to. Yeah. Yeah. She's, uh, and I, I mentioned this after we watched it together. I'd said, it's like she took the two Kims and they're like melded together. Right. They can like be even, together now. Even yeah. looking at her hair, you know, like she kept the color, but like the style is different and, and like mm. looser and softer mm. and, and not as like harsh. You can't tell what color she's wearing, but it looked very like teal and jewel tone to me, which is kind of that mix mm-hmm. of of that blue. But then that that gray, like that darker, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like she took the two sides and and now she's a whole person and can pursue some of that happiness. But but maybe just on a different level. I also want to point out that when Jimmy calls her, he's not calling her as Jimmy McGill. He's calling her as Saul Goodman. There's no Jimmy in that call. Mm-hmm. He hits her right out of the gate with, with Saul Goodman. And I feel like maybe the phone call could have gone a little differently had he approached her a little differently. But um, I think that was also part of the part of the problem with the phone call was he came out of the gate hitting her like Saul Goodman, trying to sell her, not talking to her like they were a couple. At like some sell point. her into talking to him. <laughs> right. When, when she comes out to sing happy birthday, it's also Jimmy's birthday. Because he calls, the phone call is on his birthday. So she's going out to right. sing happy birthday to this to this girl, and it's actually Jimmy's birthday, and she had just talked to him. So that's also affecting her a little bit, I'm sure. Mm, very nice. So we see that uh, after Jimmy, or Saul, uh, why don't you go turn yourself in? So that's pretty much what Kim does. She goes to Albuquerque. And when she comes out on the run, uh, she's stepping out on the pickup area or whatever, and it says Alaska. Who else thought she was in Alaska? <laughs> she's going to meet Jesse. Finally, the reunion. Jesse Peachman. The love connection Sorry. we wanted. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and then when he shows up in, mean, in the Breaking Bad timeline, I'm like, that's what? Right. That's what I'm saying. They, happening? I mean, they, they did have a moment there in the Breaking Bad timeline. So, you know. <laughs> I mean, this rain, this the bananas, this rain. <laughs> I love the way he said that. I mean, and he threw one yo on the end for you. I hate to be so nitpicky, man, because I know Aaron Paul is not eighteen anymore. But my God, he is like so not eighteen. You know what, though? Okay, yes, definitely not in the last, uh, not the last episode. I meant the the eleventh episode. But I thought they did a little bit of a better job in this one. I mean, he kind of oh, they, they the overdressed rain. him. Right. <laughs> the rain, you know, the rain make, make, kind of masking everything and keeping it dark. And then we get kind of like a tour of things in Albuquerque that we've come to love over the seasons. Mike's empty toll booth, which was probably, again, one of the saddest. Yeah. Uh, well, and, it's been And Paige Novick. They're, like a lot of these two episodes have been just kind of like a retrospective of Better Call Saul, really. Between that, seeing Paige Novick in the courthouse... That was not Paige. 
It was not you Paige? About I thought it was. That was not Paige. So here's the oh. theory on that, okay? Okay, okay. I don't think okay. it's true. I don't think it's true just because the time doesn't work. But the theory okay. is that's Christy Esposito, who was well, well, the mm-hmm. – remember when, when they were giving out the scholarship and the one girl that had been a shoplifter and everybody voted against her oh, and saw yeah, – yeah, yeah. and Jimmy did this speech about – how they're, you know, this girl, she's been in the system. She knows how it works. And, and you know, that's what made her want to become a, a lawyer. And they still don't vote for her. She still doesn't get the scholarship. And so Jimmy Whoa. runs out and catches her. And he's like, you're going to be a great lawyer. And you're going to do it without them. And you don't need them. And he's really talking about himself, of course. But he's telling her this, that they're never going to let you in. You're always going to be on the outside. So the theory is that that's who this girl is in the courtroom, is that girl. It was about seven or eight years later. She was in high school at the end of it. It was a scholarship after high school. So could she have done four years of college and then four years of law school and be doing that? It's totally doable. Yeah, it's it's yeah. So that's that's the going theory is that it's Christy Esposito. All right. You need to write that which down. I, that. I love that idea. Do you know why you have to write that down? Because that is a perfect question to ask Peter Gould and, and all them and Tom Schnell. Oh, yeah. and, and so this is the way when we get them on the show and interview them, that's like one of those, <laughs> those that's the, that's the gold star question. You, you sneak in like five questions deep, you know, into the stupid questions. You're like, we can do that like, as their promo for their next show. <laughs> what was it online? Better fuel Huel? Was that yeah. Was? Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> Which was mentioned just for everybody else was mentioned on the talking dead talking Saul post waterworks show so like resurrected from the dead (laughs) so while kim's in the courthouse do you think anybody would have recognized her it's been six years since she's been in the courthouse other than like for divorce papers or whatever she looks quite different i think bill oakley would have i think they would have but i think you'd have to kind of do a double take Mm -hmm. i think people were impressed with her enough to remember her and love her too but they'd have to look twice. And not only is her look different, but her whole demeanor, the way she walks, the way she yeah. holds herself, everything is different. She goes to Cheryl Hamlin and gives her the affidavit. I just want to say I hate Cheryl's hair. It looks awful. Like, it's she terrible. Really did. It was it bad. Really, it really bothered she looks, me. Her makeup is, like, a little overdone, too. I feel like she maybe there's like a little reflection between her and Kim in a sense, sort of like, I mean, in, in her own way, she is a shell of herself. She looked very haggard, even though we know she and Howard were split up and she treated Howard like crap. I feel like she's been milking my husband committed suicide. I feel like she's been milking that for six years. I just, I just get that feeling, you know, but you know what? Something you notice on second watch is that she still has the photo of him on the mantle. It's in the background as they're talking over Kim's shoulder. So so there really is. I think she really was blaming herself all these years for Howard's death, for committing suicide, for being apart from him. It's kind of like what I started noticing, like her being reactive during the wake slash funeral, whatever it was. I think that's her way of like dealing with the loss of Howard was to well, be like the opposite of Jimmy. Right. Blame somebody else. Well, Jimmy. I, I think it's a lot like yeah, Jimmy, actually. Jimmy. Blame, blame somebody else instead of yourself. Well, you're saying she had blamed herself all of these years for Howard's death, whereas Jimmy did not blame himself at all all of right. those years over Chuck's death. Right, right, She's right, the, right. The opposite. Well, I just meant in that instance, like she would, she was doing everything she could in her power to not have to blame herself until she was faced with all mm-hmm. the facts, 
and then she proceeded to blame herself. I don't know. She was so mean to Howard in that one, just that one scene, like Howard. It really affected you. She was so mean to Howard. Yeah, because he did the latte. <laughs> he made you that beautiful coffee. Give I know. A shit. Just poured it in a cup and <laughs> left the splashes everywhere. Rude ass. She didn't even clean up after herself. She's disgusting. <laughs> Jesus Christ. This is just a latte. Come on, man. <laughs> but that's, that's the, the, the last memory she has of him. It wasn't you know? just a latte, yeah, Dave. Well. It was his heart. Do you know what that's that's the and that's the thing? When you're when you're left with that as your last memory of your husband, like he was just trying to do something nice for me. He was just trying to mend bridges, mend fences, and that's how I treated him. And then that's what she's left with for seven days, however many years it was. Well, that and we have to remember. So she has now been told that he had a drug problem and she just was too oblivious to realize it. Right. Exactly. I do feel for her in a way like, yeah, she wasn't great, but like we all make mistakes. We all fight with our spouses, too. And so could they have come back from that? I don't know. Maybe. But but she doesn't even get the opportunity to find out. Yeah. And so I feel for her in that regard. Yeah. It's just the the road less traveled now. And she, and in her own way, traveled. yeah, and she chooses the prison of her own making. I, I mean, you kind of sort of see it. You kind of sort of sense it. She, if she didn't care, she wouldn't have reacted so hardcore at the wake, too. Like, she'd be like, whatever. Like, or or say nothing. Or, or not make a stink of it. Or not pursue Jimmy and Kim like a hound dog. Like, what happened here? You know, who can tell me what happened? So that could have been maybe a critique on the show that maybe they could have blown out her i don't know the prison of her own making kind of shit i mean i saw it but maybe they could have made a better taken a better care to show that cheryl's been suffering all these years too you know like like genuinely suffering not just being i'm a victim my my husband's dead that might have been the point of making her look so haggard in this episode right because she looked like she had aged and i mean i know it is six years later but she looked like she aged a lot more than six years in in that time span and you know what else? It, the the photo on the mantle also shows that she is not with anybody. She has not been with anybody else as well. Otherwise, she would not have. She would have put that away. And I, and I see. I'm, I'm telling you, there's I something know. there. I don't, <laughs> like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I, don't I don't know. I'm just saying. I, I don't. I mean, I'm not. I'm not saying she was doing that later. Maybe she really did have heartbroken feelings over Howard. But the way it came across to me was she was just trying to to milk the sympathy from everybody because her husband committed suicide. And I mean, that was just how it felt. God, that's almost sad. I'm also biased towards, I'm also biased towards Jimmy and Kim's. (laughs) Anybody messing with Kim and Jimmy's on my backside. (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. Cheryl's a real B. So yeah, I could see her doing that. (laughs) Well, she asked him, why are you doing this? Yes. Okay. Kim doesn't answer. That's a great question to ask at all of us though, isn't it? Cause I, that was on my mind as well. Like, why does she do this? She does it because she's tired of hiding. She's tired of feeling guilty about it. And she's tired of keeping the secret. And now there's no reason to keep it anymore. So let it out. And then maybe I'll feel better if I tell somebody. And it won't be poisoning me, poisoning my soul. But she also doesn't mention... Well, I mean, she, she she, she mentions Jimmy, but she leaves it vague. Even though she knows Jimmy's alive, she just fucking talked to him. I don't know if he's even alive or not. So she is. There's that little tiny bit of her that's still that little itty bitty piece of slipping Kimmy still in there. Right. Or even just shielding herself from that 
from him essentially like oh this is all me is nothing to do with him but like also in a way protecting him or protecting herself i think that's what it was she still loves him and so she wanted to own up but she needs him to own up she can't force it and do it for him it doesn't mean the same thing then yeah he has to want to do it Mm -hmm. and for the right reasons not just for her yeah and you know what let's I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because, you know, time and all that stuff. But I think when Jimmy finds out in Saul's Gone that Kim had fessed up to it. And this is not very long after their conversation, too, because that happens like within, I don't know, a day or two. He hears that, oh, I'm trying to uh, slick the wheels on this deal. Because I think he builds all this tension by telling all these prosecutors what they want to hear. And he's expecting, okay, I've got the seven years, but I'm going to sweeten the pot. I'm going to throw this one in to see if I can get more years off. And I think he expected with that last stroke, that magician's flair with the, with the magician's wand, that by telling them about Howard's death, he might have gotten it reduced to maybe even nothing. Do you know what I mean? Like his sentencing to almost nothing for giving them this information on this crime that was committed in their presence. I think that was his masterstroke. And then Kim took that away from him. But I think he's floored by this. And I think he's also impressed that she did what he said. You're like, oh, why don't you turn yourself in? What are you, what are you all hiding, high and mighty pot calling the kettle black, you know? And then he, he does it and he's kind of impressed. Yeah, there's, there's shock there, right? He's, he didn't know that she had done that. I think it's almost like pride in Kim not being asleep anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like seeing that little shimmer of who she used to be. And so I think there's almost like, yeah, he's like almost proud in that moment good for her like it completely fucked up his plan right well it was for ice cream but yes yes. (laughs) i think i think he was too i think he was trying (laughs) to get more time off though that's the thing that's and i think he was like where i come out on top it's like oh i'm gonna get them to throw the rest of these seven years away and i I will be the most amazing lawyer as a result of this fucking magic trick i just pulled in getting completely off scot-free, which is probably more effective than what he was trying to do before, which is like, hey, I can steal this guy's identity, but I can also rob him, but I can also disappear. No, fuck that. What if I pull the biggest trick I've ever pulled? Like the devil pulling that the trick and making believe that he wasn't there sort of situation. He was a magician showing everybody how the trick is done, and everybody was still impressed in their own disgusted way. And then, like, at the end, he pulls this masterstroke, and then he gets off all the time. But he can't, because Kim fessed up. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I know that he was angling for that, and then she just pulled out the rug from under him. Like, she ruined the trick. During the phone call with Kim, he says, there's no reason for us both to throw our lives away for nothing. So I feel like he sees her confession, especially once he finds out that Cheryl is shopping for attorneys to sue her and take everything take her house take her car take everything and i think he sees that as kim ruining her life for for nothing and if he can maybe shoulder it deflect that a little bit Mm. oh kim had nothing to do with it it was all me then that might take some of the pressure from cheryl off of her too and allow her to keep growing back into Kim and not have Cheryl hanging over her head all the time. Part of him do tanking himself also was to get Kim out of it. So she wouldn't be throwing her life away for nothing. Guys, these two episodes are such great mirrors from one another because that was Kim's phone call to Jimmy. 
at the end. When he finds out about her submitting those papers to the court and turning herself in, that was his, that was her phone call to him. Your move now, Jack. Mm-hmm. You think you're so tough. <laughs> and he does wake up by the end of it. He does realize that now he doesn't, he has nothing to hide. Every, like he says to her, everybody's in the ground. Nobody is, is around. You have nothing. You have nothing to live for. You have no money. You have nothing left. So what now, Jimmy? You can't hide from all the things that you've done now. And t- true to form, he doesn't have to tell the court about Chuck. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, Oakley just tells me like, yeah, that's not a crime. What you just said is not. But it was to me. He just unburdens himself completely, completely throughout Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He un- completely unburdens himself. And it's just fucking glorious. Mm-hmm. Let me move on to the tram scene, which if Ray Seahorn does not win a fucking Emmy <laughs> for this scene alone. I mean, oh my God. Uh, like, how, how can you even talk about it? We've all been there where you're trying to hold it in and you're trying to hold it in and you just fucking can't. And it just comes out. Doesn't matter where you are. And the more you think about it and the more you try to hold it in, the harder it's trying to come out. And Ray Seahorn herself said that this was the first time Kim has had a breakdown after all the shit that went down. This is the first time she has allowed herself to feel anything and respond in any way other than the cold, icy, gray shadow that she's been for the past six years. Yeah. So why she did this, and maybe this wasn't why she did it, but the effect of it was it allowed that dam to break and she could finally just let it out and it happens here on this train with all these strangers and i think my favorite part of the episode is the lady reaching out and just putting her hand on kim's arm as she sobs and sobs and sobs so which that woman uh the woman who plays the woman next to her on the train is vince gilligan's longtime girlfriend holly yes yes that i knew yeah (laughs) i have to say i have had one a breakdown probably just as bad as that once in an airport and no one came near me no one so that a little bit (laughs) broke it for me i was like nope nobody would do that they wouldn't do that because i've been like it's i'll cry in public i have no problem crying in front of people i mean i don't really like it because it makes me feel weak but i do it all the time so i should probably just be over that so (laughs) but like sobbing that like ugly cry like can't control it like <gasps> like that yeah i've <laughs> one time in an airport horrible experience that led to that not a single person like all i got was stares from across like people moved away from me so yeah. i just have to say i don't know how realistic that was it was a sweet moment but i don't know that that would happen in real life so i saw you cry that (laughs) (laughs) and i can tell you yeah (laughs) i've been i've being in new york city you are you are exposed to a lot of people's lives all at once in just a subway car and i can easily tell you and maybe this is just the new york city mentality you know everybody kind of just shuts up kind of just keeps themselves because people want their privacy even in this huge public space where there's a ton of people because you're, you, what are you going to do? You're going to start invading people's spaces and stuff like that? I mean, it's unavoidable. But just speaking as somebody who's seen that, you want to. You want to come over there. And you want to be the one to say, hey, what's wrong? You know, is there anything I can do? And are you okay? I mean, obviously you're not okay. But well, there's a party that's kind of like, well, it's New York City. You don't want to get knifed all of a sudden. 
<laughs> so, I, you know, that kind of, but th- that's what, for me, that's what makes the hand that just, just, just is put on her shoulder. That's what makes it just perfect because it's kind of like, we all want to be that hand. We all want to be the person that does that. When we see you cry, Bridget, in an airport during a, you know, at, after what we can assume is only a horrible, horrible circumstance, we want to be that person. We all do. Even the people that moved away, they're like, well, we just want to give you probably your space, probably. So to be, like, have your, have your moment. super ugly when she cried. It was <laughs> real bad. That too. But still, like, yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of factors in that decision. I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. But I think we've all been there too. Like we've all seen the other side of that too. And it's tough. That was um, one of the most gutting, but just un- unbelievably amazing scenes ever. Racing Horn needs all the fucking awards. She's awesome. Yeah. She's going to get a concussion from all the awards falling on her head. Yeah. She, well, she should. <laughs> she should. She deserves it. That's where we leave Kim in the episode Crying on the Tram. And again, like I said, if, if this had been the last we'd seen of Kim, it, it would have been okay because we would have known she was gonna move on you know that would have told us enough but luckily we get to see her again yeah uh so we go on to gene who is breaking into cancer guy's house do you guys think he is self-destructive after talking to kim or do you think he's feeling invincible oh no because because he hasn't been caught <laughs> so that was, why he is acting out that was Great catch question. me please i am feeling self-destructive <laughs> i honestly it's Kind of like what you said in the last episode that we uh, that we covered, uh, Breaking Bad. I think it's that fucking rampage. Honestly, after his call, I think he was so mad with Kim that nothing was going to work, but he was still going to die trying. I mean, even being Saul Goodman for all these years. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was his way of coping with life without Kim. That was his way of saying, I made it. I don't effing need you. Probably not. But I'm going to die trying. And it works and it makes him feel somewhat satisfied to keep going. But after that phone call, nothing was going to work, but he was going to damn sure try to make it work. So he's upping the ante, consuming. Isn't it wild that he has deluded himself so much that he honestly, in a way, blames what happened between him and Kim and the fact that she will not talk to him on Walter White in this (laughs) instance. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, yeah, screw this guy with cancer. Like, guys with cancer can be a-holes, too. Like, screw this guy. That, to me, is just, like, I cannot believe, like, how delusional he is in that moment. That's such a great comment for so many reasons. But, like, (laughs) primarily because, like, that's how it's always been for him. He's always been able to somehow make it that, oh, it's not my fault. It was because of this or it was because of that. It was because my brother was trying to keep me down. It was Chuck's fault. Yeah. Yeah. It was Chuck's fault. It was Howard's fault. And we assumed, by the way, yeah. we're awful too, because we kind of take his side for most of the time until we start seeing him breaking bad twice in this last episode. Like almost, almost, like way worse than anybody. I sincerely thought that he was going to rat Kim out on something big and get her totally fucked up when he was telling them, oh, call because I get them ready because I have something big that involves Kim Wexler. And I'm going to tell and I was like, oh, <laughs> shit, what is he going to do? I was about to be super, super mad at him. <laughs> and yet right right you're like oh you sweetie pie i love you <laughs> we love you um, jimmy mcgill <laughs> jimmy mcgill i no uh, you're on, on. I'm mcgill. jimmy mcgill yeah. <laughs> i'm james I'm, mcgill 
<laughs> I'm James McGill. When he is photographing Cancer Man's paperwork, there's $737,000 in his bank account. That is the amount that Walter, I mean, yeah, Walter said he needed to leave his family in order to leave them on good footing was oh, wow. that, nice that amount, $737. Catch. Jeez Louise, nice. I'm not taking credit for that. I'm not taking credit for that. I heard it on a podcast. <laughs> Just thought I'd bring it up. Wait, the uh, insider? Just for Aiden. <laughs> I thought it was Peep. I think it was Pete Peppers. Pete, okay. Also, when he is uh, stealing things from Cancer Man, what he takes are watches. And watches are what he used with Marco to run the scams. They ran the watch scams. That was a little, a little callback there. Oh, we're treading through ground, through a retread ground. I love that. Do you think he would have gone through with smashing Cancer Man on the head with that extremely heavy base? full of dog remains just oh, like he had yeah. the opportunity he could have taken he could have taken marion out too but he didn't he he stopped himself short of becoming um someone who assaults old people and he stopped himself short of being someone who kills cancer patients but was it only because he passed out or or would he have not gone through with it i think he might have i'll be honest with you that's why i'm so si- i was so silent before I think he would have too. That was the height of like how dark it got for him. So I feel like that was the real moment. Like that was the true test. And like, thank God it didn't go that way because the story would have ended very differently. But it did seem like he was all in on that choice. Yeah. I mean, because which goes to like, you know, the drunk who uh, feels like he, you know, I could put on Saul. And then he gets the phone call with Kim and it's like, Give me all the alcohol. <laughs> this is the disease talk. Cause we would, this is the excuse we would have used had he done that. Oh, it's the disease talking. It's not him. It's the disease. But yeah, it's him. So and he's, he's just, he's like this monster. <laughs> he's chasing the dragon folks. He was chasing the dragon. He's just got freaking lucky that he passed out. I hate saying that, but it's true. Mm. I know. I, I thought, I think he would have done it too. I really do. And I hate it because of course I never thought he'd, con old ladies and make her lose all of her friends either but here we go so. especially after all these years with him too right like yeah. treating the elderly with you know with some dignity yeah. but it, let's let's go from that just straight to marion though too like why so she says i trusted you and he decides to not do because he was gonna do it and she says that and i just what do you when think he had the phone cord in his up. hands i had never been so scared for for the soul of saul goodman is when he had the phone cord in his hands and was walking towards her. <gasps> but I mean, that's the thing. Like he also he also has the life alert thing in his hands too. Yeah. And it was just her saying, "I trusted you." He could have like blown on her and she would have fallen over and not been able to get up and be hurt. So it's not like he even had to be super violent or anything. He could have stopped yeah. her in any number of ways, but he chose not to. Which does that come back to the, I want to get, I really just want to get caught and be done with living this terrible life that I'm living. I don't, I don't, I'm not ready to say that, but I'm more kind of curious as to why he stops really. And so you're saying that he does to get caught. Like she, he, she wants her specifically because he, he liked her to to turn him in. What, what if Marion was Kim's voice? I trusted you (laughs) and look what you did to us. Yeah. Yeah. And it could be just like the voice of all the old people who was, he was really nice to too. Like after all I mean, these he years, did, he did try to run. 
he did try to run away but yeah yeah even that was kind of half-ass i feel like jimmy is a hell of jimmy saul gene is a hell of a lot smarter (laughs) than than what happened to him in this in the chasing let me say how irritated (laughs) i am that he did not close that fucking diamond case back up right right I have for sure done that, though. Been like, I'm just going to place this here. This is the worst thing to do this. Wouldn't it be horrible if I knock this over? And then been like, it'll be fine. And then like immediately uh, knocked it over. (laughs) (laughs) Again, doesn't that bring us back to Marion, too, though? Because at the same time, because like you think he wants to get caught. But at the same time, I think she totally puts him on his heels. And it's one thing to be out of control before that moment. Like, you know, oh, I'm a drunk who needs to drink all the drinks. And then somebody who like really finally just reaches him and it puts him on his back foot. And then now he's now he's completely out of control. He is out of sorts. He doesn't know he's doing his best, but he's panicking. Well, he certainly didn't expect to be caught. He didn't expect to be outed. Yeah. That day. Like that was not he was all confident. He was going to go to the police station. They were going to get Jeff out and he was going to be no big deal. And Marion just totally... I mean, just totally blew that plan out of the water and he didn't know what to do. I don't, I really think he didn't, he just didn't know what to do at all. It freaked him out. He, and guess what? It's exactly like you said in, well, it's like exactly what we all said. It's the voice of Jimmy getting caught up in the scheme of turning Jeffy around. And Marion is the one who got caught in the wake of that. You know, it's just another victim and somebody whom I don't think he meant ill will to. In fact, she's an old person. Something Jimmy loves to take care of is the, the the overlooked, neglected people. And she says, I trusted you to get to Jeffy, but I trusted you. <laughs> and that's just another one of his victims. And I don't think he wanted that, ultimately. I wonder if, um, I mean, like I said, he was he was hearing it in Kim's voice, but maybe he was hearing it in Chuck's voice, too. Oh, you know, fuck Chuck you. being an elder. <laughs> yeah. You know, Dave, you brought up the point about like, you're not sure, like if he wants to get caught, self-sabotage doesn't have to be a conscious choice. Right. Right. Mm, You know, like it can be a completely subconscious thing that happens. So I don't know if he's consciously saying I want to get caught, but he's definitely putting himself into like the leaving the thing open, jumping into a dumpster. Like, like he's not making solid choices that would lead to him getting away. He's had a pattern of, of losing his temper and making really bad decisions. And when he lost his temper over Chuck recording him and he went and broke into the house and broke into the drawer and destroyed the tape. He didn't think about that. And it wasn't a conscious thing he did. He's not like, I'm going to go over and, break this shit he was just so mad and i think maybe this was the same kind of thing like he was he was so upset over kim that he just made stupid decisions and didn't think anything through he just fucking did it good call and yeah and it it came back and bit him in the ass yeah you know what we can all we can actually even maybe skip ahead to the part where he's in the the holding cell to give us a little bit more clarity because he goes and this is how you get this is how it ends or this is how this is how they get you this is yeah. how they get you. Like, this but it's almost as a question. Like, this is how they get you. Like he, which is almost to say, I think maybe he expected at some point, at some point to get caught. Right. Like some point. But like, this is it. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, this is how they get you. So like, maybe that's to your point, Bridget. Well, like maybe at some point he knew he was going to get caught, but maybe he wanted to get caught on like something bigger or something more grandiose or something like that. Speaking of that, of that particular scene where he's in the cell walking around and he sees the scribble, the inscribing on the wall. (laughs) My lawyer will ream your ass. 
<laughs> so according to Peter Gold on the Insider podcast, you know, he starts laughing and you're like, what the hell? He's lost his mind. He's going crazy. But what it is, is as Gene on the run, he was outside of the system. He right. didn't understand. He didn't know what to do. The game. He didn't know what he was doing outside <laughs> of the system. But as a lawyer, he's a prisoner. He's in the system. He's in his system. He knows how to work this system. He knows what to do. And that scene is him realizing that, oh, shit, I know how to do this. I can get myself out of this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's why he's laughing and acting like he's losing his mind, but he's not. It's him figuring out, oh, fuck, I know what to do here. I am not Gene anymore. I am Saul. That's great. It's like how he tells Jeffy, like, hey, you want to you want you want to be introduced to the game? Well, the game just picked <laughs> up Jimmy and threw him in a holding cell. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> just need somebody to open the door. To the cell. Jesse meeting Kim outside of Saul's lawyer office after they sign the papers. Yeah. And um, everything is very tense and, and tight in the office. And Kim goes outside and gets a cigarette. And there's Jesse out there. I know you guys know because you were watching with me. But Dave, did you recognize the guy that was walking into the office as Kim was leaving? Yes, that was uh, da, 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 Crazy Eights, uh, Emilio's Crazy Eights partner or something like Cousin, that. Yep. Cousin, it was, right. It was the guy that Jesse was cooking with at the very beginning of Breaking Bad. Right. Emilio Koyama. Koyama. Yeah. He's the one that also gets killed in the first episode along with Crazy. Well, Crazy doesn't get killed, but yeah. Emilio is the tying it back to the very beginning of everything. (sighs) You know what, though? Speaking about that scene, that shot where they hide Jesse behind the pillar is reminiscent of the very last conversation that Walter White has with Skyler at the end of break. Well, near the end of breaking. Is it the final episode? I'm Mm -hmm. not sure, but whatever. And yeah, it's the last one. And I don't know if there's any tie in to that specific shot when, as it relates to the scene, but I remember that scene in breaking bad, that was him basically admitting it wasn't for, for you or for my cancer Mm -hmm. treatment. It was me. I did it for me. And so I, I don't know how it relates to that scene with Kim, but it does kind of, I guess maybe in a way, it does kind of reflect what Kim, Kim ends up doing and Saul ends up doing. You know, I did, I did it for me. I didn't do it for anybody else but mm-hmm. me. So Kim is doing this, um, well, by the end of the episode, you know, she gives her testimony. She does it for her. Kim, at the end of the series, confesses, unburdens himself, because it's like the one time he actually owns up to his mistakes and at the same time kind of just does something for somebody else. And that is Kim Wexler. And that is kind of getting the heat off of her, putting it onto him as part of his schemes and saying, you know, yeah, I'm doing this for me, but you know, if I can save you and let you have a life, that makes me happy. Well, I've said it's, uh, it's where Jimmy's concerned. It's always been about Kim ever since he came to Albuquerque. There's an episode, I think it's 205 Rebecca. It's the one it's a, it's a, the open, the cold open is, um, Chuck and Rebecca are having Jimmy over for dinner, and it's right after he's come to Albuquerque and started working in the mailroom. And he says, I've met a couple of nice guys and gals. And then he stops himself and says, well, gal, singular. So um, even from the very beginning, it was all with him, it was all about Kim. And I love that at the end, they keep it that way. It's really all about Kim. I mean, it's about himself, too. He's, he's setting himself free, but he wouldn't have done it had it not been for Kim. Right. And I, I love that they, I mean, this show really was at its core, a love story. Yeah. 
Yeah. Even though it doesn't really come across that way all the way through, but it is just a love story. Right. And I love that they kept that. As far as endings go, they couldn't have done much better. There, there was no other way this could have ended, realistically. They're, they weren't going to fucking magically run away together to fucking Peru or some shit. They were not going to escape and live happily ever after. That was never going to happen. So Jimmy going to prison and Kim recovering a little bit of her old self in her life was and them coming to terms is the best we were going to get. And I'm glad they did it. I think it was perfect. I think it was a brilliant ending having them together, leaning against the wall, smoking a cigarette in the prison. They did not drop the ball on this ending. I should have said this right at the beginning. As sad as it made me, I'm so happy that they did this ending the way they did. Yeah, because you think you would think after watching, like you know, you get you get a couple seasons deep, and you're like, you want Jimmy to get away with everything. You do. You want him to oh, like do all the scams, free all the defendants. That's that's what you want. But at the end, what made it most satisfying for me is that once you watch everything and you realize how far this has gone. And you see Jimmy as a person, as what he might be at the core. And you do see a little of that, I think, when he calls the Cinnabon employees. His one phone call is to the Cinnabon. I thought that was said so much more than so many things that I thought of throughout. Yeah, but who else is he going to call? He but has that, nobody else. That's the thing. Like, he doesn't have to call anybody. Like, do you know what I mean? So, like, what I was thinking was, like, he didn't even have to, he didn't have to call them and tell them. But who gives a shit about the Cinnabon? But at the same time, I was thinking to myself... <laughs> That is like the most considerate, non-needed thing to have to do. And he does it anyway, because he cared in his own gene way, that part of his life. He kind of cared about them. He wanted them like, hey, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to open up the store. You might as well look for somebody else. Like better to find out from me than find out inadvertently because I didn't give a shit. But bringing it back to the ending, I think that was the most rewarding thing of all. Is like, OK, it could have been about wanting this guy to get away with everything. You know, Jimmy can't lose. Better call Saul. Pew, pew, pew. But like at the end of the day, it was about a man facing up to all the mistakes that he's made, taking responsibility for them, even the things he could have gotten away with. But he didn't let himself get away with them. And that mm. turns everything on its head. It says, fuck you, audience. Also, inadvertently, and says, I'm James McGill and I'm taking responsibility for everything now. I pretended for too long. So I really like that he says James McGill instead. And I just thought of this when you when you guys said it when we were talking about the Jimmy McGill thing and you said I'm James McGill. It just clicked <laughs> to me. He changed his identity again one last final time <laughs> to say I'm not Jimmy McGill anymore. I'm not right. a childish man who doesn't take responsibility for my actions mm-hmm. and I'm not a slimy lawyer who tries to pull one over on everybody. And I'm not this meek hiding con artist in Nebraska. Now I'm James McGill. I'm taking full responsibility for everything. I no longer have a childish name. I am now an adult. I'm my birth name. I mean, that's what is that? That says everything. I'm the name I was given at birth, period. It's just really nice. It just like wraps it all up in a, in a nice little bow and you're not really left with any questions. It was beautiful. I actually talked to Linda about it a little bit, fan art Lindy, and she had said that she loved that it was beautiful and we talked about how like gorgeous it was and how but how sad it was, but how that really mirrored the ending of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Oh, in in what way? Just elaborate. Just because just that kinda... couldn't have gone any other way either. That right. went the way that it had to, and it was heartbreaking, but it was beautiful. 
and it's the same thing. It was like a ballet too. And you know, on that note, I kind of felt like the end of the series was kind of like music. You hear him rehearse the how it would go in front of a jury had he gone to court twice. The first time is the first chorus. And that's when he, I had a gun to my head and I was standing over an open grave that was meant for me. And, you know, and I was fearful for my life. But the second chorus, and that's where the song ends, is, but I take full responsibility. And like the chorus has a turn. I, and I, I, when I was writing music as a singer songwriter, I would do that all the time. Well, I would do that selectively with certain songs, just how like, you know, you have this chorus about how things are in your life and it, it's a refrain that repeats. And then I would, at the end, the last chorus, I would change it up so that like, no, it's not that it doesn't have to be like that. And I would change it. So there's like some beauty. There's a change there's a growth while you're listening to the song. A little bit of detail. That's fun. When Jesse is talking to Kim, he talks about Combo or Chris Ortega, <laughs> who stole a baby Jesus, and she got him off scot-free. In Breaking Bad, Hank is talking about all of the people connected to Walter, and he puts Combo up on the board and says he has no arrest record except for stealing a baby Jesus when he was a juvenile. So Puya. they tied that in nicely. <sighs> As a juvenile. Oh, my God. <laughs> One of the things I, like, I, I liked was... Jesse asks Kim, is this guy any good? And she says, when I knew him, he was. I just like to think that inadvertently Kim kind of set that in motion because she didn't say, no, this dude sucks, run away. So uh, (laughs) when the time came, Jesse needed a criminal lawyer. He went to Saul on Kim's recommendation. Not entirely, but it's still fun to think about. It's like one little brick in the pile, right? To kind of make that decision. Kim, Kim got the ball rolling. <laughs> haven't haven't we day. said that also like too? we said that Kim is responsible for Jimmy helping Walter White and, you know, that whole thing it wasn't really Kim, but, you know, it was a circumstance. <laughs> but then it was Kim. <laughs> a couple little callbacks when Jimmy's waiting for Jeffy to call him from the police station. Oh, poor he Jeffy. Does the, the right, the magic fingers, hands. <laughs> the, the phone fingers. When Marion is calling him out and she turns the computer around you can see the commercial reflected in color in his glasses just like in the very first episode 101 when he's watching the commercials at home sitting in his chair and you can see the commercials in color reflected in his glasses the only other instance of color in the entire gene sequence is the lighter flame and the cherry on the cigarette when they're smoking together that's right that was all rachel she noticed that in yeah. the first watch. The spark. Yeah. The little yeah. spark between them still. The flame. <laughs> Jimmy's flame and Kimmy's ah. flame. So can we speculate a little bit? Just because let's have fun with that because the show's over, so who cares? With regards to that, I think this is kind of a cool point to leave off on because it leaves it open in our minds that like over the years, Kim and Jimmy are going to, because she has the lawyer access. She's like, Oh, we didn't get that appeal. Oh, I guess not conjugal visits. Some (laughs) (laughs) because like, I think it allows them to have this relationship in our minds after the credits roll and still have this thing together. And now that they're living unburdened, they can live a life. I don't want Kim to put her life on hold. Oh, I don't want her interesting. to. Now, I say that because James, I'm going to mm. call him now, which is kind of a weird change, but I like we're going to go with James. He is going to be away for a long time. 
And like, even with good behavior, it's still going to be a long time. (laughs) And I just. So I'm saying conjugal visits, baby. I don't want her to have to put her life on hold to wait for him. Now, I love that they love each other. And so if that's the choice that she honestly makes, then I would feel respect, you know, respectful of that. But I want it to be like her choice that this is what she wants to do. You know, I, I it's funny, like, because that's the position I would normally take. Like, oh, don't put your life on hold for me, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can have a life outside where you don't have to wait for your prison buddy. Your prison, I mean, your p- I don't prison want her to be with Glenn. To get out of prison. <laughs> right. I don't right. No, but, yep. but look at me. I'm, yep. I, I'm the sentimental one. Go figure. Um, my shipper heart wants, like, Kim to, like... I don't know, get a big fucking beer bottle shaped air balloon and like hover over the prison and drop a a ladder and let him climb up it. And then they can just fly over the mountains to Texas and into Mexico and escape and live happily ever after. That would be my like total dream. But I don't see it happening. So in that case, I really want Kim to move on with her life and become a productive and happy person. If it happens to be with Yup Guy and that makes her happy, then whatever. But I can't see That's so Yup Guy lasting. I can't see no. Yup Guy lasting with her change in demeanor. Like I, I think that that that's just a little bit too much for her. Like, at least go on and find somebody who's a little more exciting, Kim. Please, I, I, I can't deal with you being with Yup Guy anymore. <laughs> that is the most disturbing scene of the entire series for me. <laughs> <laughs> all the murder, yep. all the blood and yep. guts. That was the one that yeah, just, just, it just. It's very graphic. <laughs> I feel like it will <sighs> stick with me for life. Like, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't think Kim is ever going to go back and see Jimmy again. I think that was it. I think that was really. Them, I think that was them saying goodbye. I think that was the end huh. of it. He knows that she forgives him and. <sighs> If they could be together, they they would, but it's not going to happen and they can't. How am I the romantic in this situation? I'm like, the flame means is imagery that they're sharing their flame together in their face with the cigarette and everything. <laughs> Rachel, back me up here. Come on, man. Like, seriously, man. I need it. Oh, so you can... oh, you are on your own. <laughs> well, no, I because I know you have feelings about this. The flame is the spark that gave them both life again even though jimmy's in prison he's obviously living a life he's not afraid he's he's got (laughs) friends apparently he's he seems to be like the cock of the walk in there you know everybody respects him and he's got a life going on and kim has a life going on and that spark between that the the cherry on the cigarette and the flame is the spark that gave them both life again to go on after oh you know now i'm thinking of something else him being that lawyer in prison as well now, or maybe even teaching law classes to all the criminals. There's like such limitless possibilities with his life now as somebody on the inside of the system, let's say. <laughs> okay, so next we'll ask for a procedural style show in which Saul works on criminal cases weekly from within the prison system. Um, James McGill, excuse me, Esquire. Sorry, yes, James McGill. Flaw in order. <laughs> I was going to say James in the joint. <laughs> wow. Uh. Well, that's very revealing. I never would have thought I would have been the odd man out in the uh, untethered uh, romance that is uh, Kim and Jimmy. 
right, I'll take it. I did not expect that, though. I have a bunch of little things here, like Bill Oakley's car. I asked Dennis what kind of car it was because I couldn't tell. And he said it's either a Chevy Cavalier or the Pontiac version of a Chevy Cavalier. Oakley's car is an AMC, by the way. It's an it's an old AMC hatchback. AMC used to be a car company back in the day. So his car is super old. <laughs> Nacho's car was an AMC Javelin. Why that's important is it's kind of like retreading ground again, because that is kind of like Saul. I mean, Saul and his esteem and answering the cell phone, just, oh, I'm in my office. You know, (laughs) you know, like Oakley Oakley is taking on. First of all, he's a defense attorney, which is Saul Goodman all all over the place. It's it's just such a cool callback. Like Oakley has his own esteem now (laughs) and and his own cell phone with his own tagline too. not speedy justice for you, but it'll it'll work. (laughs) (laughs) The Pontiac version is called a Phoenix, which would have been perfect for Oakley because he's rising from the ashes. Uh You know what? If we can get the model of that AMC car, we'll we'll put it in the blog because it's it's definitely that. But I just I didn't, I didn't get the model. I tried to freeze frame it. I freeze framed it and tried to zoom in, but I, it was so blurry I still couldn't see what it was. I'll put it in this episode too, and so I could put it in the blog as well. The whole court scene was a parallel to chicanery. The episode where they put Jimmy on trial and Chuck mm-hmm. goes on the stand. Kim is there in the background, just like Rebecca was. You know, Jimmy's wife is there. Chuck's wife was there. They even do a pull a fall pullback scene where they Jimmy is framed in the same frame with the exit sign like they did Chuck after Chuck lost his shit on the stand. And they kind of pulled back and had this long shot with a glowing exit sign right over Chuck. And they did this, too. Only we were, as we didn't realize at the time, but we were saying goodbye to Saul Goodman. Saul Goodman was exiting uh, and James was coming in. Oh, OK. Well, that's fine. <laughs> so, Jimmy comes back in. James comes back in. So that's fine. I said this to Rachel and Bridget after we were watching, but I would love to hear what they said to the wardrobe person when they said, find us a suit that says Saul Goodman, even in black and white. And they did it. (laughs) Which, by the way, in color, it was actually Peach. So he was Jimmy Peachman. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Yeah, because you have to because AMC did such a cool thing on Twitter. For those of you who are not on Twitter right now and on Instagram as well, they did the setup and then the actual shot little sequence like uh, mm. image panels and stuff like that, which I love because we got to see what it would have looked like in color on top mm. of everything else. So, yeah, peach suit. <laughs> Go figure. Gene's car is a Saturn Aura. It okay. is also beige like his Ford Taurus was. And his esteem, um, sort when, of, like the canary yellow. His, his esteem was yellow with a red door. When he's climbing out the window of his apartment, when he's going on the run, the path looks like a W or a M. It looks just like the painting on the on the wall in the oh. dentist office. Oh. Oh. That's <laughs> cool. When he and Mike are at the water trough and they're talking about the money, it's a callback to season one. When they get the Kettleman's money and Jimmy's like, am I wrong? We had $1.6 million in our hands. Why didn't we split it and take off? Nobody would, nobody would know we had it. And he says the same thing about this. He's like, we have $7 million. Why don't we split it? Nobody would ever know. Which kind of goes back to what you were saying before about how great it was that he gets to unburd himself and like be himself. But then like throughout this whole episode, they do the time travel thing. 
and all he cares about is money, whether it's mm-hmm. in the Better Call Saul timeline or in the Breaking Bad timeline, which keeps you going to thinking like, oh, God, is that all he is? Is that all he's ever been? Is that the real him? Like when faced in a life or death situation, figuratively or literally, literally with Mike, but figuratively with Walter. It's like figuratively because your life is Saul Goodman's over. You know, you get to live, but can do you live? And so all he thinks about that moment is like money, like that escape. They're like, oh, that's all that matters. And he has Kim in the Better Call Saul timeline. So like, it's just, it had me going for so long. When he's talking to Mike about what he would change, the dates that Mike gives, first he says December 8, 2001, which was a day before his son was murdered. Then he changes it to say March 17th, 1984, which was the day he took his first bribe. At this point, in Bagman, what do you think Jimmy would have changed? Not Jimmy's bullshit answer about Berkshire Hathaway. <laughs> because Jimmy's not gonna Jimmy's not gonna give you the real answer about what he would change. Yeah, that's not him. So, so this was what after you think, this was after Jimmy? Chuck, right? Yeah. Yeah, this was in yeah, Bagman. This was in season five. I think maybe Chuck would have been the answer because I think the end of this season this series kind of ends off with that as his last unburdening. I think that was it. Or maybe the Chicago sunroof. Oh, God. What is that again now? Because I, I forgot what that was. <laughs> pooping, pooping through the sunroof. Yeah. OK. That's what I thought that, it was. That's why he's in Albuquerque. <laughs> that's why he's in Albuquerque, because he pooped through a guy's sunroof <laughs> and the guy had his kids that. in there. So they were trying to nail him as a sexual <laughs> offender. So Chuck came and got him out of jail and made him come to Albuquerque as a condition of him getting him out of jail for the getting him out of the sex offender case if he didn't come to albuquerque he never would Mm-hmm. which is probably why mm-hmm. he wouldn't change that see and maybe that's why yeah. he gives the bullshit answer because he wouldn't have changed <laughs> anything if it was if it meant he wouldn't have met kim huh look at rachel coming out mm-hmm. of the cold with an excellent thingy bobber in the brain that's i really was struggling though too when he said the money when it was the money it was like, what? What are you talking about? And then, yeah, you kind of just answered it, Rachel. Walter's like, when Jimmy's talking about being slipping Jimmy, and Walter's like, so you were always like this? Like, fuck you, Walter. You were always like this, too. You just didn't let it out. At least Jimmy was honest about it. Yeah. You were always yeah. the king, wow. kingpin wannabe, Walter. Interesting callback to the last episode when he finds the fitting, and Kim is working at Pomco Sprinklers, and you have all these images of fittings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I thought that was a kind of cool little link I didn't, I didn't, to what good catch i didn't catch that to what they were gonna face mm-hmm. <laughs> being disappeared but on that note yeah jimmy does give walt the insight to actually confront the the people who screwed him in the first place he actually does end up going back in time quote unquote to confront those people mm-hmm. you know when yeah, he comes back from matter. the cold mm-hmm. yeah the gray matter people mm-hmm. so go figure saul was saul was instrumental well saul yeah saul was instr- instrumental in that Otherwise, I don't think he would have done that at all. That was kind of random when I was seeing it in Breaking Bad. I mean, I know he was trying to like retread his steps and make right what was wrong, but he didn't have to do that. I think a, a theme of this show that nobody really talks about is how your actions affect other people. Like everybody's talking about identities and atonement. And I mean, that is a big theme of the show. But a big message of the show is how your actions affect other people, even though you don't realize it. That's something they explore quite a bit. If, if you do this, then this happens to this person and then this happens to this person. It's like Macbeth, <sighs> you know, like ambition. But how far are you willing to go for ambition, even if it hurts other people, even if you don't know it hurts other people? Right. 
Chuck said it at the beginning, even Jimmy doesn't want to hurt people, but he always ends up doing it anyway. No matter what he does, he always ends up hurting people. I think it's funny for him to say that because I think that's like everybody on this show. Everybody, even though they think they're not doing something wrong, does end up hurting somebody. Like you don't think like even though Chuck bails Jimmy out and of course he's owed every bit of righteous indignation that he gives to Jimmy. But at the same time, he could have been, I don't know, a little bit more of a forgiving brother. It wouldn't it would have made Jimmy not become an awesome lawyer, the awesome lawyer that he is. But he was he's also responsible for Jimmy becoming who he is. Everybody on the show is responsible for everybody else, really, whether they like to say it or not. Everybody's actions had consequences for other people. So it's not really just Jimmy when in the final analysis. Howard doing Chuck's bidding created this <laughs> this problem with Jimmy. Chuck doing X X created this. So everybody's action had a consequence of some sort, even if they didn't know what it was or recognize it. And I, I mean, right. I just think that's right. a big theme of the show that nobody really points out as a big theme of the show. We're all just space trash, just bumping into each other. <laughs> <laughs> the time machine book that Chuck has is featured in the very first episode of season six. When they go through Saul's house, it is on the bedside stand. Shit on a stick, priester egg. <laughs> <laughs> and somebody did a great comparison of the again in the in the episode one when they're going through the house and they carry the the big cutout of, of Saul out and they stick it in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. Somebody put that side to side with Gene coming out of the dumpster. <laughs> in the- <laughs> yeah, was some uh. foreshadowing we did not realize. Yes, yes. Speedy justice for Gene. <laughs> and I mean, did you guys notice the um this this was from a few episodes uh, a few episodes ago when they're putting up the new sign. Uh, the Saul Goodman and Associate sign up on the building. Mm-hmm. That sign is also the one that's being carried out of Saul's. Uh, it's, it's sitting outside of Saul's house. Jeepers! In the in the priester egg, like the new new one yeah. that they'd put up right afterwards. Right after um, Howard gets killed, and and Mike's yeah. like, "You guys have to do the day. Like nothing, everything's fine." And it starts the next episode where they're playing that really pretty song, and they're just showing them go through their day. At the very beginning of it, they're raising that sign up to put on the building that says Saul Goodman Associates. It's like the silver. Yeah, the impressive really one. Really pretty classy. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's laying on the ground outside the of Saul's house of when they're moving everything out. So he put that on his house or somewhere in his house instead instead of on his actual law firm. That's so fucking crazy. Well, they, yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like him, doesn't it? Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah. Like, well, he, he, he needs to, people to feel like this place is approachable for the clientele he's catering to, right? So thank you for that. <laughs> wondering what happened i to love that. finding those little things i really loved seeing marie and even having blanca in it was just such a nice touch that i don't think any of us were expecting which mm. one's blanca by the way sorry just to refresh my memory it's gomez's wife blanca yeah was she she there was she was there okay okay yeah she yeah, was she sitting, was sitting next, next to marie, marie in the courtroom okay marie mm-hmm. kind of just chews up the screen so sometimes i don't notice <laughs> when other people are in the room she does that do you think she was wearing purple Oh, yes. for sure. Absolutely. Of course she was wearing purple. <laughs> Where's um, the shot? Where's the shot? <laughs> In the it setup. was just such a, such a nice callback. And yeah, you didn't get to know. Like, she was upset. Obviously, she lost her husband. And so to get her on screen to be able to say, like, this is everything I had to go through and you were a part of that. And hello, we didn't say this and I'm glad you brought it up. But what a mirror for Cheryl. Yeah. You know, yeah. Kim has her yeah. Cheryl moment and Jimmy has her his Marie moment. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, Hank is a lawman, straight shooter, just like he says Howard is. And there you go. I also loved her reaction to Saul's like, my first introduction to Walter White. <laughs> like, she's just like, oh, come on. Like, I just loved that. I just love that. And also it really did shine a light on how flawed the justice system really can be. Mm, yeah. Because, yeah. okay, you know, I, she's I mean, like, it, you are not going to make a deal with this guy. Yeah. And and yeah. so much of the show has reflected that, too. That's been a theme throughout the, the justice system as it currently runs is flawed. And I mean, take a look at the, the people Kim was trying to help those lower socioeconomic status families and, and juveniles who really wouldn't have had an opportunity to get a good lawyer had Kim not stepped in and done that. The whole series shines a light on that. And and so this was just kind of a, another a last focus on like, this is the kind of stuff that really happens. Yeah. And, and going back to Manuel Varga, like in some in it's a good reflection of where he sees the life in the cartel, the game that is the cartel and all the in drug dealing and all that stuff. There's never going to be justice for these people. Never. There's no justice system that can prosecute the game. That that is that that world. There will always be a vacuum. And maybe it just says a lot about people or I don't know, real life in general. Like was it hierarchies tilt towards tyranny? That's kind of life in general. Hierarchies always tilt towards tyranny. So we as individuals need to be the bulwark against that tyranny. And so like the Kims of the world set that right. You know, those people. I see stories like that every day. And so I think the show does do somewhat of an interesting job of showing that people, individuals can affect some of that injustice. <laughs> Even the Walter Whites, <laughs> inadvertently killing all the bad people uh, just to be on top, but also yeah. kind of like being this kind of like harbinger of justice in this twisted way. So, yeah. you know, I do want to say too cool. that through that scene, because Jimmy obviously makes these deals and he gives them all the information he has, Mike's family finally gets to know. Oh, oh, what happened? Yeah. Which is, like you said. Well, I don't know, because did they, did he ever specifically come out and talk about Mike? So I, we don't know. Well, if, we didn't hear it, but it was, it would have been in that, you know, all of the stuff that he was giving them, theoretically. The cherry on tops, yeah. yeah. So. The Sunday. <laughs> and obviously Sunday there is no, them. there's no way that he can say like, here's where the body is or anything like that. But I just think that's really nice that they would finally get that closure. I mean, I hope so. Uh -huh. I hope they do, because that was always the saddest the actual most heartbreaking part of the show for me was that as hard as Mike tried to make sure everybody had closure, he was the one that never got any closure. Nobody ever, his family never knew what happened to him. He just vanished. So I hope, I hope that's the case. In my head, he shared them. And that's in my head canon is that they got the, that closure. Cause I think that's, it's just a really beautiful way to end it is to, for everybody to finally feel like all that stuff is wrapped up and they can move on. I mean, think about it, like for all the times that Mike kind of saved his ass, Jimmy's ass, like or and just stuck by him throughout, mm -hmm. you know, Jimmy got to do this in the process of taking responsibility for his actions for himself, oh. you know, for his like to be a person. He gives Mike's family closure. Yeah. The, the biggest kindness that he could ever do for somebody. Mitchell says he also wants to know if Marie sold Hank's minerals. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell gets to be a part of the show after all. You're funny. The, ans Mitchell. the answer is yes. 
He's so fun. She the looks pretty money. good. So I, I, I think, she, I think she, I think she did. I don't know if she's <laughs> still a say that, that happened. I, if she's still stealing spoons and shit. I hope everybody <laughs> in the room checked their wallets before they left. <laughs> she found purpose, Sharendy, in life. So no, it's not scamming. <laughs> okay, one thing I want to point out is the face acting, both with Ray Seahorn and Bob Odenkirk. The scene where mm. Jimmy is laying out the story. And the guy is like, nobody is, no jury is going to buy that. Nobody, you think anybody's going to believe that? And Jimmy says, one, I just need one. And the fucking change in his demeanor in that second was like, I, I was like a switch turned off. I was, I was like, holy shit. I just need one. And he was fucking Saul right there. It was amazing. And he was right too. Right. Oh, I love that. He's like, juries, right? What are you going to do? <laughs> I was like, ooh. Hey. And you know, you know what else that what's great about that is that's, that's the punchline. The setup was him saying, Hey, uh, guy, what's his name? Caravaggio. I don't know. But like he, he mentions, yeah, you've never lost a case, right? Mm-hmm. Boom. Setup. Yeah. Punchline. Well, he just needs one. I just need just one. meant Kim. And you lose this case too. <laughs> so it appeals to his ambition, mm-hmm. B- buddy. Only one. So there you go. Okay. Part two. When Jimmy has laid out his whole spiel, and everybody is in the background arguing, and he turns and looks at Kim, and she, her face is just stoic. It hasn't changed. And he kind of looks down for a second, and then he looks back at Kim. And I can't even tell you what it is about her face that changes. But something in her face, it's not a smile. It's not even a hint of a smile, but something in her fucking face changes, and you just know that she forgives him. And, like, it is... God damn it, if Ray Seahorn does not win a fucking <laughs> Emmy for this fucking show, like, it is it is unbelievable. I mean, Rachel and I were talking about it earlier because I asked Rachel, I said, what do you think was the most powerful part of this episode? And she pointed out this scene, and I was like, I feel the same way, mostly because of, of the way Ray Seahorn uses her face acting like, I, like I said, there's nothing there in particular that you can point out, but something in her face just changes imperceptibly, and it... And and it's fucking different. It's fucking different. It doesn't even need a question, right? Well, it's like it's, she saw. She's fucking amazing. That was the moment in this episode. I started crying, and I just couldn't stop. You were like, right? You were like Kim Wexler I, in the bus. Yeah. I, I just, I, the look on her face, like pictures, and it's it's not a smile, but somehow she portrays relief mm-hmm. on her face. And it just. Yeah. <laughs> you can cry. <laughs> it's cool. We made Bridget cry at the beginning. It's cool. Yeah, you cry at the end. Hey, we're done. Gets, it's symmetry. <laughs> it's symmetry. Yeah. It's the symmetry. We gotta have yeah. the crying at the beginning and the crying at the end. And both Sharon yep. and me have to be responsible for it. So Yup. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Wait, so uh, let me blow yep. your minds a little bit. It's a lot like Lalo. To borrow your insight on Lalo laughing and sputtering and smiling at the end of his life, I was right. And that's the thing that I love the most about that facial feature at the end when she gives that to Jimmy, is that it makes her right about what it is she loves about him most, is that there is a sincerity. He, the things that he does to help people that need defense, somebody needs a lawyer to defend them, and it's going to be Jimmy. Who else? To defend the the neglected and the overlooked, Jimmy McGill or James McGill or well not Saul Goodman, fuck that guy. No, but still maybe Saul Goodman. <laughs> so that's 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 what I like the most about that face is that I knew I was right about you. 
I knew I was right to love you. I knew I was right to never have to let go of you in my heart, you know, despite everything that's happened between us. There was a reason. And of course, maybe it doesn't have to be said, but because we said it already, like when Jimmy finds out that she actually did confess, that was Jimmy's moment about you. You are everything that I needed in my life. That angel on my fucking shoulder, that moral compass that says, hey, you don't have to be, you don't have to gain satisfaction from the con. Even though everything in your life other than me is responsible for making you want to do that. And maybe even by the end of it, Kim was kind of responsible for him going down a dark path, even though he was trying to pump the brakes. Cause that's like not what he's used to with her, which I love about this show. The writing is just so good. Even Kim Wexler is the thing that makes him want to con, even though he doesn't want to, that's not what our relationship is about. So by the end of it, you get that nod, you get that you are the thing that makes me do good or want to do good at least, or be on some sort of righteous path, even though it might not be fully righteous because I'm wearing a pink peach suit, which means orange and, and red or something. And it's, that means good and bad. I'm in this middle spot. There's such a contradiction because they're terrible for each other, but at the same time, they're the best thing for each other. And they're so good at reading people and they're so good at reading each other that I don't even know that they knew to, that they were able to verbalize what it is that they love about each other. But in that face, mm-hmm. I saw all of it. In Ray, in Ray Seahorn slash Kim Wexler's face, I saw it all. And also like Jimmy's face when he finds out that Kim did the thing. Like his face is like, blah, 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 oh my, <laughs> like, oh, oh okay. You see, you could tell what I, my face looked like from my mouth. Why'd you become a chicken? Because he kind of looked like one. He was like, blah. <laughs> The same way Jimmy reacted when he found out it was Chuck that had shit on him the whole time. The reaction he had was somewhat the same. Do you, <sighs> like, we're elaborating on that. It was like more like revulsion or being completely let down or... Yeah, kind of let down. Like, he just was like, fuck, fuck. It she was did you? That to me. <laughs> well, he, did he can't get his ice cream then. <laughs> but so. I think he was more impressed. Like, right. you know, but in contrast to his brother, like, of all people, you... Like he looked up to his brother. He got him out of all those pinches. And yet that's what you really think of me. So that's, I, so again, symmetry kind of turns it on his head. It's like a yin yang. Like symmetry. He, he's, I love it. You yeah. know why we're doing this, right guys? Cause we hate endings. That's right. But I will say this. <laughs> yeah, but I'm tired. As far as this ending, <laughs> as far as this ending goes, as far as this ending goes, it's all good, man. It's all good, man. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. It's all gone. It's all good. It's all, it's all it's good all that good. it's all gone. Nobody went to Belize. I love it. Oh, thank God. Yeah. <sighs> they got to live. Thank you to everyone who was involved with this show. This is the best show I've ever seen on television. The Easter eggs, the callbacks, the symmetry, the circles, the parallels, the brilliance, the acting, everything was fucking amazing. The cinematography. Oh, my God. The cinematography. Everything about this show was perfect. I am so, so sad to see it go. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart to everyone who was involved because you all made a a fucking thing of beauty. From my part, you don't have to make anything ever again, but I hope you do. Vince Gilligan, Peter Gould, Tom Schnauz, all of of you sons of bitches who wrote for the show, got to be involved in the show on the production and casting and, and the actors, obviously now we will follow them to the ends of the earth as if we weren't already. I mean, with at least with Bob Odenkirk. So hats off Ray to Seahorn you forever. 
yeah now yeah it's like i uh, I sorry i'm gonna say this now but i didn't know you even existed but now you're in another show that i want to see like uh what is that show now i i I just saw it cooper's there you go cooper's bar and i think she plays a lawyer in that too if i'm not mistaken i'm not sure i know it got uh, nominated for emmy also get the fuck out of here race it's like the year of racer seahorn I hope so. Well, man, she got ignored for five years. I certainly hope she gets noticed, get, get, got noticed this year. Yeah, if she gets a concussion from all those awards raining on her head. I mean, <laughs> she it's, deserves like a, it. it's like a good and bad thing. She deserves <laughs> it. Hope you've got a good health plan, Ray Seahorn. <laughs> and with that, everybody, if you like what you heard, head over to ratethispodcast.com slash squawking dead. Leave us five stars and an eggplant. We'll know that you love us. Or leave us five scales and a um uh an orange <laughs> or a peach, <laughs> a peach. <laughs> and we'll know what you mean yeah <laughs> tell us what you liked tell us what you didn't like tell us what we could be doing better tell us what other shows you'd like us to squawk about but just remember to tell us after every episode and hey if you want to be more involved in the way this podcast shakes out like Mitchell in the Twitter rather than in the chat. You know, you got to do what you got to do. All you got to do is head over to ko-fi.com, create a free account, and just follow us at ko-fi.com slash squawkingdead. You don't have to buy us a coffee for 30 days of supporter-backed content, and you don't have to join a membership tier for as little as a dollar a month. It's your inroads into involving yourself a little bit more in this podcast. We post things there that we don't post on social media, like our recording schedules and our unedited episode recordings, just like this one that will drop right after we record. In any case, I've been your host, David Cameo. I was joined by ringleader, Sharon D, a.k.a. Blazy Gardner, Cosmo Mom Zero and I, Rachel Burt, and a new addition to our hosting cavalcade, Bridget. KO-FI.com slash Punky Brewster. That's P-O-N-K-Y-B-R-U-I-S-E-T-E-R. Take care, everybody. And Sharon, why don't you give us the last word on this one? It's all good, man. It's the word on the street. <laughs> John Dory dropped all of his Scrabble tiles. He's definitely got the word on the street. <laughs> 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 so final word it's all good man well i guess that's it everybody i'll have to go all cry good. out by it. <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna say this now kim and jimmy forever not like everybody I'm else totally, like, oh. i agree no i agree they are together forever <laughs> in their hearts no like in like the real life that no, i've constructed I mean, in my brain <laughs> I mean, like I said, visits, man. Your head cannon. It's okay. Yeah, sure. Yep. Sure. <laughs> it's your yep. choice. It's in your head. Wait, that's 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 how we have to end the show. Yup. Yep. Until until next time. Yup. 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 Well, pardon me. Yup. <laughs> Bye, everybody. An idea yep. to better call Saul, and hopefully not the Breaking Bad universe. We'll see. And if so. That. We'll be there to cover it, hopefully. I mean, these actors are getting older. You can't keep doing prequels, guys. Sorry. No, no, no. Fuck that shit. <laughs> uh, I want a I procedural spinoff with Kim helping different people at Legal Aid every week. An <laughs> anthology episode, maybe. Sure. <laughs> or a series. I want a series where Kim crosses over into The Walking Dead. Because now that Walter's, Walter's blue meth has already created the apocalypse, and now Kim is... <laughs> gonna be a badass she's gonna go break jimmy out of prison and they're gonna go fight walkers together
Somebody's going to have to. Told you, conjugal visits. That's how they break out during the conjugal visits. All right, everybody. Yep. We'll, see, we'll see you in the next one. Thanks for Which being is here, going Mitchell. to be. By the way, we'll see you Bye, in Mitchell. our coverage of Tales of the Walking Dead. And so we'll see you soon. Woo! Bye. Bye, only Mitchell, not the rest of our fans. Bye. Bye, everyone else. Bye, Mitchell. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> okay, we're done. We're done. It's <laughs> Just Mitchell. <laughs> Again, I want to thank you all for listening to this podcast, for encouraging us to cover Better Call Saul's sixth and final season, and for listening, rating us at ratethispodcast.com slash dead and responding so well to this content. And without further ado, of course, we have people to thank, people who support this podcast, people who subscribe to one of our membership tiers at ko-fi.com slash dead. These are the perks that they get when they join either the Whispers or Survivors tiers, one of whom was Bridget who is now an official host. She has contributed so much to this podcast just as a member, but decided to go above and beyond consistently by helping us with interviews, being the most helpful person at conventions, and any opportunity that presents itself, she jumped right in and just acted like she was part of the team, and we welcomed it. So much so that we invited her on for every single episode of our Better Call Saul coverage. So she is no longer a Survivor's Tier member, as we announced on this podcast. She is an official host. So without further ado, here are our Survivors team members for whom which this podcast wouldn't be possible. And they are Aliza, Aliza Jones 71 on Instagram and JonesAJ6 on Twitter, Jasmine, Jasmine.iac on Instagram, and Linda Peck Athens, ko-fi.com slash fanartlindy. Support her work too. Shop at her Kofi shop. All her art is listed there and you can check it out when you have the chance. She's great and she's killing it lately. Turning our attention to our Whispers team members who also support this podcast we have a new one also yvette whom we call vetty mrtny vet on twitter we've got j13 Voorhees on instagram and twitter tyler philip cox on instagram and twitter aiden blog master general aiden atkin whom you can reach at ko-fi.com slash aiden atkin and you can get to all his social media from there as well as support the man because he's in college we got sandy.d.morrison on facebook frosted angel 67 on twitter and judith.morton on instagram from the bottom of my heart thank you so much for listening to this content and, and for continuing to encourage us to cover other shows or giving us your feedback or telling us what we could do better this is your podcast i mean it's our podcast but it's our podcast our collective podcast and your feedback helps make us better and give you the show that you want to hear take care everybody and we'll see you in another walking dead universe breakdown i've been your host david cameo and you were joined by cosmon zero and i rachel burt sharon d aka blazy gardener and new host bridget ko-fi.com slash punky brewster that's p-u-n-k-y b-r-u-i-s-e-t-e-r have a good one and we'll see you again real soon 